Good morning. It is wonderful to be back with you and a great privilege to share in the celebration of the Kirk's 75th anniversary. When I heard that your new interim pastor was Dr. Andrew MacDonald, I knew that the Kirk would be in good hands. We named our son Andrew MacDonald Pritchard. Not after this Andrew MacDonald, but well, maybe it could have been. But I was a little worried at first because he made a fairly major error very early on in his time here. I had received the invitation to uh, preach today, long before Dr. MacDonald came, so after he got settled in, I thought I'd better check in with him and tell him that I had received this invitation. And then I added, unless, of course, the interim pastor chooses to rescind the invitation. <laughs> and he didn't do it. <laughs> so, at least having met him and spent some time with him, I realize, sir, that you have overcome that early mistake and you are settling in to do a very important, vital ministry here at Kirk in the Hills. It is wonderful to be here. Thank you for having us for what has been a spectacular weekend. Joan and I have loved it, and I'm going to go back to my congregation in Longboat Key and say, I don't care that you laughed because we were in Michigan when it snowed. Joan and I enjoyed the snow, but only for a weekend. Let's turn together to the Word of God. Psalm 48 is a psalm of celebration of the place of worship and the story the place of worship tells. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beauty in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within its citadels, God has shown himself a sure defense. Then the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, pains as of a woman in labor, as when an east wind shatters the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God establishes forever. We ponder your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Your name, O God, like your praise, reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with victory. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go all around it. Count its towers. Consider well its ramparts. Go through its citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is our God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide forever. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. It's been wonderful to share this celebration of the Kirk's 75th anniversary. I speak as someone who is older than the Kirk, and I'm happy to be here celebrating this special day. Even though I'm aware when we have birthdays, we are aware of the passage of time and the changes that time can bring, can force upon us, can require us to negotiate. So, not a little wiser, but at least a little older than when I was last year, I can note that I have changed too since I left the Kirk. I'm now old enough to qualify for the Kirk Seniors newsletter. <laughs> Although, full disclosure, they send it to my wife. <laughs> but if you don't qualify for the Kirk's newsletter, then you may have missed this wonderful example from a recent issue about the challenges time can bring. There's this guy visiting with his daughter for a few days, and he says to her one day, honey, can I borrow the newspaper? And she replies, really, Dad, the newspaper? That's so 20th century. We read the news now on our tablets. Here, take my iPad, it's lying on the counter. You sure? Dad says doubtfully. Yeah, take it, go ahead. Okay, Dad says. That fly is not going to know what hit it. Thank you, Crystal and the seniors. I loved it the first time I read that, too. But there it is, the challenge of change. And one of the changes you have made since the ancient days when I was here is that you are celebrating your anniversary with a kirking of the tartans. That didn't inspire my sermon title, however. I've had to cope with the notion of tartan piety for decades now. Before I went to the church I served before coming here, the Scots Church in Melbourne, Australia, one of the interim pastors had come from Scotland and had probably had too many sermon illustrations referring to the old country, or back home, or when we were in Scotland. And one member leaving the congregation after an evening service sniffed, huh, all he gives us is tartan piety. And that was intended as a criticism, but I want to use it more positively than that. I want to speak a word for tartan piety. For one thing, it allows us to honor Colonel George's sense of indebtedness to and love for old Scotland. But for another thing, a tartan can serve as an object lesson by the way it weaves the different colors together. Twenty-five years ago, when the Kirk commissioned Susan Fillerton Grist 
to produce our tartan. She asked the 50th anniversary committee to send the colors that you could see around the kirk. And she then took those colors and produced eight different samples of tartans using the colors in different combinations and different emphasis and so on. And she produced eight beautiful examples. We showed them to the 50th anniversary committee. We showed them to officers. We showed them to some members. We even had a visiting pastor and his wife in town the weekend the samples came to us. Every single person chose the same tartan, the one we have and the one we celebrate as the Tartan of Kirk in the Hills, now officially registered with the Scottish Tartans Authority in Scotland. It expresses who we are as a congregation. Today's bulletin explains this in details. The colors in this tartan are symbolic. Blue for the Presbyterian denomination and the shield of Melrose. Purple for the thistle, the national flower of Scotland. Scarlet for theology. Yellow for hope. And royal blue for the Church of Scotland. And there's a part of the kirk and potential for spiritual reflection in each of these details. The connection with the old Church of Scotland can send mixed signals because like many churches in Europe these days, the Church of Scotland has fallen on hard times. I remember when I was here being involved in a conversation one day with John Buchanan when he was pastor at Fourth Presbyterian in Chicago. And John told me he'd, in, he'd um, entertained, looked after a visiting pastor from the Church of Scotland and shown him round the magnificent premises that are Fourth Chicago. And at the end of the tour, the Scottish visitor looked at John and said, but where are the shabby bits? And rightly, John was taken aback because he feels, as we all should feel, that God is not honored by the shabby, nor the shoddy, nor the cheap and nasty, the God who has loved us in Christ is worthy of the very best that we can offer, the best that we gladly bring to his worship, to his service, to his witness in the world. And the blue reflecting the shield of Melrose reminds us that Colonel George chose old Melrose Abbey as the model for the kirk. It's Melrose Abbey replicated here in sometimes astonishing detail. And that serves not just as a reminder that the faith didn't start with us, nor did it start in this country, that we are connected to a worldwide family of faith and worship and service. We stand on that historic foundation as debtors and as those called 
to pass it on to other generations of faithful believers. But as part of the 50th anniversary celebrations, we got on a pilgrimage tour of Scotland. And when we got to Melrose and saw the other border abbeys of which Melrose is a sister abbey, we were struck by the fact that far and away, Melrose is the most ornate, the most beautiful of the border abbeys, reflecting Colonel George's intent that the kirk should be a magnificent witness to the glory of God. Colonel George said on one occasion, I've always believed that the place of worship of our deity should be noble and inspiring in its conception and character. To enter into its holy atmosphere, we felt the very presence of our God, the very spiritual presence of God the Father. Only the best is good enough for God. Let our celebration renew our commitment to live in that way. And then there's the purple. The flower of the sizzle is purple, so there's prickly material for us to consider. And that's no bad thing. The heritage we honor is not without its dark side and its negative moments, as the Kirken story abundantly testifies. The Kirken celebrates loyalty in the face of difficulty and oppression. A 1746 ban on the wearing of the tartan was an attempt to stifle clan loyalties and the political loyalty that went with them. But the suppression was unsuccessful. But it's a sad detail of the history of that time that the political dimension that this loyalty attracted was an unworthy cause. Sadly, for his followers, and despite all the romantic legends around his name, Bonnie Prince Charlie was an unworthy leader, frequently drunk and dissolute, a poor leader and an unworthy example. His personal failures doomed his enterprise and led to the oppression of his people. And that disappointment can be heard in the, the plaintive melody which we used in worship today set to modern Christian words of the Sky Boat Song, the disappointment being reflected in the plaintive notes of the melody. So the purple in our tartan challenges us to make sure the loyalties that attract the commitment of our heart are worthy loyalties. And of course, supremely in, in Jesus, we have the leader who may be trusted, which appropriately brings us to theology and the color red. And that's one of the biggest challenges before us today. Often what passes in many churches for Bible study has been reduced to something akin to self-help and 
personal development. You know, 10 Bible insights to enrich your marriage. Lose 20 pounds with this Bible-based diet. Five scriptural insights for healthy teens, that sort of thing. In a recent article in the Atlantic Monthly, James Ernest, the vice president of Erdman's in Grand Rapids, one of the major religious publishing houses in America today, said, the evangelical church in the United States over the last five decades has failed to form its adherents into discipleship. There is a great hollowness. And that's why I believe as Christians we have to recover Bible reading in our homes and Bible study in our churches to add substance to our understanding and faith to our living. Just watch the way these days some Christians seem to take pride in the fact that they have subordinated their faith to their political or their social loyalties. And they've claimed Jesus for attitudes or for practices that are contradicted in almost every page of his teaching in the New Testament. No wonder in his moving memoir, Hannah's Child, Stanley Hauervas, the Duke Divinity School theologian, can lament, I have come to think that the challenge confronting Christians today is not that we do not believe what we say, though that can be a problem. The challenge we face today is that what we say we believe does not seem to make any difference for either the church or the world. And so let us recall that as Christians we are called to be different, to refuse to be conformed to the pattern of the world. And let the red in our, our tartan serve to inspire us to open our Bibles and recover God's truth for our living. Because as our reformers maintained, the truth is in order to goodness. Now, if I'm beginning to depress you, <laughs> take heart. The next color in our tartan is yellow, and that stands for hope. Early in my ministry, I was going through a turbulent time, and I discovered a wonderful benediction that I hadn't known before that Paul offered to the church in Rome. I'd been reading a book, an even-handed book, about the history of Christian missions. And the book told of some of the glories of Christian missions, some of the achievements, and some of the dark days and some of the awful things that missionaries had perpetrated in the name of Jesus Christ. And the author 
wound up his story by pointing out that it's an extraordinary thing that after 2,000 years, the Christian church, despite the humanity and the failures, still exists, still changes lives, and is still a force for good in the world. The fact, he wrote, that God still believes in his church is possibly the greatest miracle of all. Thus, the benediction from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a hope that has kept me going in over 50 years of ministry. And you know as well as I do, hope is a quality in short supply in our nation and in our world today. But hope is a Christian grace and through Christ a Christian gift. When I was your pastor, Doug Brower was a colleague and neighbor in Ann Arbor. And so when I read earlier this year that he had published a memoir, I had to get it. I've managed, it was difficult, but I've managed to forgive him for the untruth that in his day, First Presbyterian Ann Arbor was the largest church in the Presbytery of Detroit. <laughs> no way known. Kirk in the Hills was. But that wasn't the worst thing about the book. On the back cover, he had a commendation from the Methodist Bishop Will Willimon. And Willimon wrote, and Brower allowed him to write, his book is bound to be known as one of the finest ministerial memoirs to come out of the last days of mainline Protestantism. The last days of mainline Protestantism? Willimon, you've gone way too far. I do not believe that for a moment. And that allows me to connect with another tradition that is reflected in the Kirking of the Tartans that we share together today. We've just had our midterm elections, as I'm sure you're tired of hearing. Well, back in Scotland, when they had local elections, uh, not parliamentary elections to, to, uh, to Westminster, but local council elections, uh, all, all that sort of thing, the Sunday after the election was over, all the newly elected officials paraded to church for a blessing on the work to which they were being called. And whether they realized it or not, whether they wanted it or not, that Kirkin of the Council, as it was known, was an expression of the truth that without God's help, nothing they were going to do was going to be of any lasting worth. 
And so connected in with the kirking of the Tartans is this realization of our dependence on God for all things. Remember the word that the Lord gave to his prophet Jeremiah? If you seek me with all your heart, says the Lord, I will let you find me. We come to church, and we have the church for that reason. There is truth here that has stood the test of time. There is faith here, strong enough for any challenge we may encounter. There is Jesus here who will not let us go, not now, not ever. So let me ask you to affirm your tartan piety, blue because only the best is good enough for God, purple because Jesus is the only Lord worth following, red because our faith is secure when it is grounded in the truth of God's Word, yellow because we are given a hope that God will not disappoint. And blue, because the church, the sometimes frail, the often needy, the sometimes compromised church is more than our humanity. It is Christ's mission to the world. And as Jesus left his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel, the truth is for us to receive as well. I am with you always, Jesus said, to the end of the age. By God's grace, your best is still to be. Let us pray. Thank you, loving God, for the faith that you have given us through your church on earth and through this kirk in Bloomfield Hills. Thank you for the fellowship of faith and the sisters and brothers in faith with whom we join. Bless us for the days ahead and use us to bring the glory of your love to a broken and a hurting world. In Jesus' name. Amen.